so the fourth book of the Bible is called, there you go, Numbers. That's what it's commonly referred to, and we'll just do it because it's not the worst thing in the world to call it Numbers, but it's actually not its intended and original name. Its real name is Bemidbar, taken from a phrase in the first verse of the first chapter uh, of that particular book, and that's the way Hebrews do it. They name all their books by extracting a phrase, usually in the first verse. And so Bemidbar is actually the original meaning of the book, and it means in the wilderness. Now that makes our study in the book of Numbers all that much more inviting. Nobody wants to study in depth a book called Numbers, but if it's called in the wilderness, maybe it arouses our interest just a little bit more. It ought to. It's about Israel's wilderness wanderings, but there are tremendous parallels to our own. She's destined to a place of promise, so too are we. We call it heaven. And so we could learn a lot from the record which we have kept for us under inspiration, God through Moses, in this fourth book of the Bible called In the Wilderness. Well, we are in chapter 13 tonight, so we're making progress. Not too fast, but we're making it. Numbers chapter 13. Uh, let me... Uh, summarize the first part of it and then emphasize the few verses uh, at the end of the chapter. Uh, they're encamped, Israel is. They had just finished a season of uh, pretty uh, amazing and surprising complaining about everything. In Hebrew, we call it kvetching. They're just kvetching about probably the weather and Surely the food and all the rest. And so uh, uh, this vexes God, to say the least. And yet he has promised them their placement and in and possession of uh, this land of Canaan. And so prior to that, God ordains that Moses would uh, select from the assembly of Israel one specifically chosen leader from each of the tribes, so that would make how many? Yeah, 12. Choose 12 men who are recognized to be credible leaders amongst the tribes, one for each tribe. Send them up into this land of promise and spy it out. Bring back a report. That's what God mandates is to occur. And so what you have in the first part of this chapter is a very precise and specific enumeration of the names of each of these who will go up to check out. They'll go on a reconnaissance mission, not actually spies undercover, not so much that, not spies in that sense. They'll simply go on a mission to look to the land, its people, its cities, and bring back a very precise report to Moses and the rest of the people. So their names are given. And then we're told in the first part of this chapter that on their way back, they pause to pay particular attention to a city called Hebron. Hebron, quite a significant place. Uh, and I'm sure they were quite... Uh, astonished and pleased by the opportunity they had to pause there because it is the burial place of all of their forebears, the patriarchs, Avraham, Yitzchak, not easy to say, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are buried in Hebron. And so it would mean something to these descendants of those patriarchs to see where in fact they had been 
laid to rest. And so they pause at Hebron and they see these burial sites, but they see also a people group there. They're called the descendants of Anak, the Anakim. And this was not a, a very pleasing sight to these 12 spies because they were giant-like people, literally, Goliath-like, uh, 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 super uh, out-of-the-ordinary, off-the-chart, uh, abnormal height. And uh, as a general rule, we, we Jews, we don't do height too well. As a general we are, as you know, intensely good-looking, but not very tall. It's just, you, this is obvious. I didn't have to tell you that again and again. But anyway, so, so they, see the, they see these people uh, very, very exceptionally tall and intimidating uh, people who are there uh, in, in this place called, called Hebron. Well, on the way back, as they leave Hebron, they pause in a valley called the Valley of Eshkol, which means cluster, as in grapes. And there they uh, bring back with them just one cluster, one Eshkol of grapes, because Moses had told them, this is what I want you to report on. Tell me what the people there are like. How many are there? Are they strong? Tell me where they live. Are they in open spaces, or do they live in fortified, well-defended, walled cities? Tell me also, what is the land like? Is it mosquito-infested? Is it swamp-like? Tell me, is it a fertile land? Does it look like agriculturally it is a, an attractive place? Bring back this, bring back an indicator of the fruitfulness of the land, and that's what they do. So they bring back an eshkol from the valley of the same name, a clump of grapes, so big, in fact, I mean Texas-sized grapes, that it is carried on a pole. They hang it on a pole, and you have two of the guys, one in the front uh, carrying the pole on his shoulder, and the one back here, and this big cluster, eshkol of grapes in the middle. They're going to bring it back to the camp of the Israelites so as to give evidence of the uh, fertility and fruitfulness of the land. So that's that's kind of what's happening. So they spend 40 days on their reconnaissance mission. They go from the southern part of the land to the north. If you read the text at your leisure, and I hope you do, you'll see that the geography and uh, the boundaries of the land are specifically given uh, from the south. And they go all the way up to the hill country. We're not talking about Austin, Texas over here. We're talking about the hill country of Israel. That means the northern part of Israel, even north of the Sea of Galilee, uh, to the southern part, the Negev which means uh, south. It's the, it's the southernmost desert area. Go from the south to the north on your reconnaissance mission. They spend 40 days doing it. They took their assignment seriously, and they returned to the camp of Israel uh, after 40 days to give their report to the people and to Moses. And now we pick up the action, uh, verse 27. Chapter 13, Numbers, verse 27. Here's what it says. Thus they... The twelve, the spies, they told him, Moses, and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. Have you heard that expression? It's a Middle Eastern expression, and it conveys the thought of fruitfulness and productivity 
and blessing. It certainly, they say, does flow with milk, maybe goat's milk, which was common in the day and even today, and honey, honey, bees thriving, you know, propagating and, uh, and doing whatever bees do to spread, to spread the wealth. Honey being quite a commodity in that part of the world. And this, they say, is its fruit. And what do you think they demonstrated as evidence of the fruitfulness? It was the grapes. It was the cluster of grapes, the eshkol of grapes. And so that's what they do. They essentially say, wow, it's a good land. It is really, really fruitful. God has really provided for us a place of plenty. He promised it to us. He told us it is ours to possess. Not only that, Moses, we saw the burial sites of our forebears, our patriarchs, almost as if it's a pledge that God will fulfill his promise to us. Their presence in the land indicates to us a kind of a downed payment that God has retained it for us. And oh, Moses, it's really something. It flows with milk and honey. God is good. Here's our good report. And everyone is rejoicing. It's just a simcha. It's a time of celebration. And all of it comes crashing to a screeching halt with one measly old word. Can you see it in verse 28? Nevertheless. Here's what we saw. Here's what we brought back. Here's what it's like. It is major cool, really filled with good stuff. Nevertheless, we know you, Lord. We know of the record of your prior faithful sustenance and provision. We know you heard our cry and liberated us from bondage. We know how you determined to make us your people, you being our God. We know how you blessed us with your law brought down from Mount Sinai by the lawgiver Moses. We know about your deliverance and we know of your promises, Lord. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Lord, we know you promised to give us this very land, but are you aware of the fact that there are giants in the land? We saw them with our own eyes, seeing is believing, or is it? And we saw walls, giants and walls, in the very place you said you want to give us. Obviously, you can't pull it off. Because there are giants and walls in the land. And so therefore, what we saw, O oh God, apparently means more to us than what you said. How about you? Seeing can actually be disbelieving. What we saw 
has overwhelmed what you said. What we saw has distracted us. We've lost our focus. We're not centered, focused on what you said, what you declared, what you promised. Oh, God, what we saw with our eyes, that's the ultimate reality. There is no greater reality than what we apprehend with our senses. We saw, we taste, we touch. What you said is not the ultimate reality. Don't you see it? We read the newspapers. We hear the radio. We check out our stock portfolio. We see our retirement plan in great decline. We see the, the dollar devaluing. We see gas prices going up. Oh, God! What is it that you said about provision and protection and all? I can't hear you. I can't see you. I'm too distracted by what I see. What I see. What I see. Seeing could really, 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 in fact, be disbelieving. Well, they say more about what they, not what God said. They say more about what they saw. Verse 29, Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Lord, in essence, they say, we cannot see any longer what you have said because it is being extinguished by what we have seen. This is not the ultimate source of authority, what my eyes tell me to be true. What God tells me to be true is the ultimate source of authority. Though there be walls and giants and bumps and obstacles in the wilderness journey, God told me I'm making it to the other side. God told me he's reserved his place for me in heaven. God told me he'll never leave me or forsake me. I don't want to invest in reading the economic reports more than I'm reading the promises of God which are contained in the very word of God. What do you see? I'm telling you, seeing could be the number one source of your disbelieving. And all along, God wants us to develop eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the eyes of faith. It's the eyes of faith. Not these sensory kinds of things. Walls and giants. You know what? Do you know what is so ironic about the people groups enumerated in verse 29? Um, those very groups have been previously enumerated way back in Genesis chapter 15, the context being God ratifying his covenant with Abraham, in which he said, I'm going to give you, Abraham, and your descendants the land. And all of these people who are in it will be removed. They will be replaced. I'm giving it to you. And so I take you to Genesis 15. Just let me read this to you if you don't want to look to it. Uh, verses 18 to 21. Listen. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Cadmonite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite 
and the Jebusite. Gone. And now the majority report of the reconnaissance team, when they come back from this very land, is, God, those people are in the land. There's no way we can remove them. Eyes led to disbelief. Interesting. Very, very interesting. What their eyes told them to be true distracted them from what God told them to be true. Now, God said something intensely clear that they missed in, in verse 2. Would you look back at uh, verse 2, chapter 13? I, I'd like you to see something. It's easy to miss. They missed it. It's easy to miss. Verse 2, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan. Now, here's the part that you could miss. Which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. There is no equivocation with God. God is not saying, I'm uncertain about my intent. Therefore, you ought to be as well. God declared, it is done. (laughs) I am giving. You just go check it out as an incentive to your faith. Not to obliterate it, because I'm telling you, here's my word. I am giving this land to the sons of... And they lost sight of this very clear statement of God because they were absolutely overwhelmed by what their eyes told them to be true. And I know this is happening to us in our very day because we're looking more and more pessimistic, cynical, angry, down in the dumps. We're suffering from what the psychologists call existential depression. It's a societal uh, malaise where we're sick and tired of existing. Existential depression. But God said, I give you the abundant life. I cannot let the economic prognosticators uh, extinguish the fire. I cannot let the political situation, our government, I cannot let all the rising gas prices, (laughs) I cannot let the fact that we don't get the shuttle... Now, I can let it affect how I vote, for sure. You can count on that. But, 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 but I can't let it rob me of the joy and peace, which emanates not from what the news reporters tell me, but what God told me. I am giving. You should possess. Enter in. What's your inheritance? Take possession of it. I can't let the CNN, Fox, anybody, I can't let them tell me truth. Come on. I have to go to the truth teller. I have to go to his, I have to go to his word. They lost sight of this clear statement, you see. And so the people in the camp were subjected to this rather discouraging majority report, but thank God for a minority report. Want to hear the minority report? It's there, verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should, by all means, go up and take possession of it 
for we will surely overcome it. Minority report. By the way, it's not just one. Uh, chapter 14, if we ever get there, tells us Joshua was on his side also. Two. Caleb and Joshua. See, they, they, bring, the, they bring the minority. Caleb is essentially saying, we have already been given the title deed to the land. Therefore, in spite of the obstacles which we see, we should by all means go up and take possession of that which God has given. You see it? Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, no, hang on here. They say, we're not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. They're right about part of that. The people are too strong for us, but they're wrong about the other part. We are not able. Why are they wrong? I can do all things through. See, so that's what they missed. Listen to me. If you stack yourself up against what your eyes tell you to be true, you're in a heap, of, you're going down. But if you stack yourself up against the truth teller, the Most High God, you're going to be fine. What are you seeing? What are you seeing? What you, what, what, what's getting your attention? What are you. Anyway, verse 32 they gave out to the. Uh, Sons of Israel, see, the majority may rule, we know that, but the majority historically has most often been wrong. Did you, did you know that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're wrong here. So verse 32, they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Good night! That's the land God was going to give to them, flowing with milk and honey, a good land from a good God. You know what happens? When you lead with your eyes, you start exaggerating and distorting what your eyes have told you to be true. So they said, it's a land that's going to devour us. No, it's not. I've been there. It doesn't devour you. It blesses you. Are you kidding? Go to Israel. See the land that God has provided. So they said, no, it's the land devours its inhabitants. And look, all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. They're all giants. No, they're not. There's a few. No, I got to tell you, when you're leading with your eyes, you really can make giants out of puny nobodies. Mountains of obstacles out of real mole hills. I got to tell you, what your senses reveal to you to be true is not authoritative truth. You only see in part. You only see partially. You don't have the right vantage point. You don't see from on high. You see things through distorted lenses from others, and you receive it by your own distorted lenses. Seeing is not believing. In most cases, absolutely not. Seeing is disbelieving. It surely was in this case. And so they essentially tell uh, the people, uh, don't go. Maybe They discourage the people from, from going. And by the way, we'll find out in the next chapter, they carry, the majority carry the day. 
The ones who brought the majority report carried the day and dissuade the people from going up. Why did they carry the day? Well, it's easy, because they were the majority. They were the majority. And the people in the camp differ. They weren't just the majority. They were leaders. They were experts, <laughs> like we have today. A majority of experts telling us what it's going to take to fix this and fix that. Experts. They broke what they said they had the expertise to fix. Experts. A majority of experts. And so the people cast caution to the wind and they, and they, 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 they just forgot the promises of God and, well, and the power of the promise maker. And they, they deferred to the majority. They deferred to experts. Here's a PhD from Harvard University who's going to tell blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> the experts have not done so good in their personal lives. But they, they're going to tell me how to live mine? They're going to tell you how to live yours? God said, walk this way. He's the expert. Be careful about listening to uh, the voices of a majority of so-called experts <clears throat> that distract you from hearing the one voice of Almighty God who is truth, who is light, and who could show us the way through the wilderness into our land of promise in spite of the giant-sized obstacles and in spite of the walls which we Encounter. So they deferred to the majority report. It shook the people's confidence in the clearly stated promises and plans and purposes and power of God. So they say in verse 33, there also we saw the Nephilim. And we get an explanatory note there. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Ten of the twelve saw themselves to be like grasshoppers. Two saw God. Ten of the twelve saw themselves to be outsized. Two saw the power of the promise maker. What do you see? What do I see? Everybody in our world today sees what's going on, but far fewer see what's going on from God's perspective. And we have the mind of Christ. The vision, the values, the perspective of Christ himself. <clears throat> um, I want to show you something a little odd. It's a slide that our, uh, I think our media folks will put up for us here in the, here it is. Perhaps it is, it's a little odd 
kind of a thing, but I'll tell you what it is. It's interesting. It's the symbol, the logo for the is, uh, Israel Ministry of Tourism. That's what it is. That's their chosen logo, Ministry of Tourism. It's a governmental agency. That's what they chose as their symbol. You go to Israel today, you'll see this all over the place. Every guide will have it, an emblem. You'll see it all over the place. You want to see a, a, an irony? Today in Israel, the symbol of the Ministry of Tourism in Israel is taken from Numbers chapter 13, where the two spies brought back the Eshkol, the cluster of grapes. They're marching back from the land of Canaan to show the people in the camp, look how fruitful it is. This is a sampling. Look at the grape. Look at the size of the grapes. There's more. Look at this. But the majority report carried the day. And the people said, we're not going up there. Giants in walls. No, no. Moses, God, take us back to Egypt. Why did you leave us uh, in the desert? Why didn't you leave us back there? We had fish back there. What's this manna stuff? We can't go up there. We can't beat up on them. The Anakim, the Nephilim, the Hittites, the these guys, the all kinds of ites, parasites, all kinds... And today, the very symbol, not only of the people in the land, but of people around the world going into the land under the auspices of the Ministry of Tourism is that symbol. God gave the victory. In his power and in fulfillment of his promises, the giants were overcome. And walled, fortified cities, which they never saw before. They were a desert people. Came down like Jericho. I saw it. I saw where the walls came down. I was on the spot. Go there. Find the walls in Jericho. I dare you. Just as the Bible said. They didn't scale them. They marched around. They blew trumpets. They praised God. Boom! Walls, giants, when you're in the hands of the Most High God? What an irony. God said in Genesis 12, 7, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants, I will give this land. <laughs> he did. And my uh, fellow travelers in Messiah and followers of Messiah Jesus, we too uh, face giant-sized challenges in the process of our wilderness wanderings. Personal challenges, psychological challenges, marital, medical, ministerial, vocational, financial, of course, of course. I'm not minimizing it. They're very painful. They can, at times, seem to overwhelm us. They're giant-sized. They make us feel like grasshoppers. <clears throat> but what about the Most High God, who is high and lifted up? 
who has said to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. But God, giant obstacles, I face this. I face the prognosticators, the majority, the experts. The, 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 I will never leave you or forsake you. But oh God, I, I just don't think I'm going to be able to make it one more step. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. But oh God, I'm running out of energy and strength, even a will to go on. Yeah, yeah. But my grace is sufficient for you. But oh God, I'm so weak. I know. But when you're weak, I am strong. But oh God, things are so bad. In my life, they're just so bad. They're just so bleak. They're just so... Yes, but I can use all things for the good. You know me. You're called by my name. You love me. I can use all those things for the good. Don't you see? What are you seeing? Are you seeing a diagnosis? Are you seeing a medical report? Is that the expert you're deferring to? Are you checking out your bank statement? Is your financial advisor calling the shots? Are you listening to the politicians? Are you believing in their promises? Oh, come on. God says, I can use all things. Oh, God, I feel at times so alienated and so alone and like I'm going under. I will never leave you or forsake you. And Nothing can separate you. Nothing from my love, which is housed in Christ Jesus, in whom you are housed. Nothing can separate you. Oh, God, I could lose my job. I could lose my home. I could lose my health. So what? Nothing can separate you from my love, which is housed in Christ Jesus. You see, what about his word? Oh, God, I'm so, you know, I feel like one step forward, two steps back on my faith journey. I will complete the work which I began in you. What are you listening to? What are you seeing? What's carrying the day? Isn't it the day maker? Come on. Oh, God. Do you know what's going on in the Middle East? I don't know if you're aware. Do you know what's going on around the world? God, do you know like a whole lot of people don't like you? God, are you aware of the fact that there are whole countries ruled by sheer and utter madmen? Crazy people. God, have you seen what they look like? <laughs> and God says, Psalm 2, I laugh at the nations that conspire against me. I will shatter them like a piece of pottery. Most high God. Oh, God. Lost my job. Savings are gone. 
expenses are rising. I am your provider. Oh God, I feel so helpless. I feel so aimless. I feel so purposeless. I will use you to bring glory to my name. Oh God, I feel lost in the crowd, lost in the shuffle. Nobody knows my pain. Nobody hears me. Nobody cares. I know you by name. I will never leave you or forsake you. I love you. Listen, my fellow potential grasshoppers. We are not outsized by the giant-sized dark powers of this world. We are in the embrace of the most high God through our faith in his beloved and only begotten son. It's all about what you see. Seeing God's word can lead to believing. Seeing the rest of this stuff can lead to disbelieving. So what do we do? We turn our eyes upon Jesus. We look full in his wonderful face. You know what happens? The things of earth. They don't go away. They just grow strangely dim. How? In the light of his glory and grace. What are you looking at? Let's look to Jesus. Let's sing. Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Oh God. Give us eyes to see the reality behind what our eyes see. Oh God, our eyes can only see what they see. We need eyes of faith, confidence in you, in your character, in your word. Oh God, would you correct our vision? 2020, spiritual vision focused on truth. Lord Jesus, you are the truth. Help us to turn our eyes upon you during our wilderness wandering on the way home. For surely we're on the way home. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for victory. Victory in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.